Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them how to use tools to market themselves and their businesses, and to make themselves just so much more successful And we're going to have a great time today because my guest is going to help you do that. Oh, isn't this so much fun? So please join me in welcoming Laura Pennington. Welcome, Laura. Thank you for having me. Great. Well, let me tell people just a little bit about you. So Laura Pennington is a former inner city teacher who left that career to pursue freelance writing full time. Since 2012, she's been writing managing projects, and helping build, helping build digital teams for businesses all over the country, including companies like TrueCar and Microsoft. You can find out more information about her at sixfigurewritingsecrets.com and betterbizacademy.com. So again, Laura, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Great. Well, first of all, why did you decide to leave teaching? I'm sure there are a variety of reasons, but and, and to really get into, you know, this this new career. Were you an English teacher? You know, what kind of led to this? No, I wasn't even an English teacher. I I didn't study English in college or in graduate school. Um, mm-hmm. I I went to college for economics and political science, intended to become a professor. I completed uh-huh. my master's degree in political science at Virginia Tech, and um, while I was in my PhD program in public policy, I was doing that at night, and I took a job as a teacher in Baltimore City, um, kind of to you know do something a little bit outside the traditional right. academic um, professor setting. And I was teaching social studies and um, I was hired to teach geography, but the principal told me on the first day um, that they could not afford to pay for a sixth grade or an eighth grade teacher. So I Ah. would need to teach my students everything I thought they should know between fifth grade and high school. So uh, yeah, it was um, absolutely exhausting. I worked about Mm -hmm. 18 hours a day, every day Mm -hmm. um, between grading, dealing with parents, um, tutoring kids, Mm -hmm. uh, lesson planning. And um, it it just burned me out. Like it actually got to the point where it took a medical toll on me. Um, I got got very sick and was Mm -hmm. borderline exhaustion. And then I twisted my ankle and I was out for a week due to that. And I just thought, I cannot go back here. You know, I cannot step Mm -hmm. into this environment again. And so um, I left that job and then I took a position, um, sort of like a typical corporate job with a company I'd worked with before. Um, But Mm -hmm. I kind of knew that, you know, this wasn't my dream. And here I was, I was 26 years old. I was in the middle of a PhD program to become a professor and I didn't want to teach anymore. You know, I, Mm -hmm. that experience in Baltimore was enough for me to go you know, no, I, I at right. least need a few years of a, a break mm-hmm. from this. Um, so it was mm-hmm. kind of a, a crisis that sort of threw me into freelance writing. I, I didn't, um, I didn't know if I needed anything specific to get started with it. Um, but I also knew that I couldn't do what I had been doing anymore. Right. So, you know, how did you, because part of what you do is you help business owners. So how did you launch your own business and kind of go from there? I thought about what skills do I already have that will make this learning curve a little bit easier. So whereas if I tried to become a graphic designer, I would have had to teach myself all that or go to school for that. 
So the only reason that I chose writing is because I had a couple of professors in college and graduate school who told me I was a good writer, and I'd worked with a lot of students while I was at Virginia Tech, coaching them with Mm -hmm. their own academic writing. So I thought, okay, that's where my skill set lies. I can teach myself what I need to know to do it commercially, but I have at least those basic grammar, spelling, formatting, you know, style skills. And mm-hmm. um, I got started just helping business owners with search engine optimized content. So they wanted to be found on the internet and they wanted their website to rank highly in Google. So I, I also, again, thought about my background. I'd worked in the insurance industry. I'd worked with a lot of law firms. And I thought, okay, I'm going to focus on these two industries because I already know them. I know the types of people who work in these offices. And it was therefore easier for me to, to pitch them and to use my, my background both in writing and also in those individuals individual industries to land business. Mm-hmm. And so was it, I mean, you, you clearly had thought through the process and, and were really working towards your skills, but was it still a leap of faith or did you have some clients lined up? You know, because, and, and the reason I'm asking is there are so many people who either have just launched a business or are thinking about it and actually doing it is the hard part. You know, and, and, you know, I think a lot of times we all try it part time or, you know, we, we don't have the courage to do it at all. How, you know, how did you kind of work through maybe the first six months of doing this? Well, I, that totally explains my mentality when I got started freelancing because I kind of felt like it was an accident. You know, I, I, Mm -hmm. I fell into this. I landed a couple of jobs in my first month and I thought, all right, great. This is some extra cash, you know, wonderful but i didn't really start to think of it in as a business until about 3 months in when you know i was still at my day job i actually stayed at my day job for 12 months after i started freelancing and that was very mm-hmm. much on purpose but in the 3rd month i sort of met and surpassed the money I was making from my day job. And I was only freelancing part-time. So I started to think, Mm -hmm. okay, I could make a go of this. But I also didn't know anything about freelancing. I didn't know if this was typical. I didn't know if there were certain months or times of the year when it would be um, less busy. So I wanted to have a year's worth of income report so that I could plan appropriately. Um, You know, for example, I learned that December and January are basically dead months. Um, And if, you know, and if I had left my job on a wing and a prayer, I wouldn't have known that and I wouldn't have had enough money saved. So I, Mm -hmm. I did stay at my job. For, um, I started in the summer of 2012 and I went full time in the summer of 2013. Mm-hmm. Well, and you, what you went through was exactly what I went through. Um, I was working full time and, and it was great. You know, it was an organization. We were lobbyists, which that was very different. I mean, you know, that's kind of like, you know, knowing how sausage is made. You're, you know, knowing how laws are made is a very complicated process. Um, but was, was thoroughly enjoying that. But the company that I had had worked for prior came to me and said, oh, my gosh, can you do some freelance projects for us? Because we never filled your position, but good golly, we still need that that stuff done. So I did that. I went back, worked part time for them, you know, evenings, weekends, all those good things like, you know, good freelancers do. And and I thought, wow, you know, if they were willing to pay me to do it, maybe somebody else would too. Um, you know, and, and that was really how I launched my business. I think that's true for so many um, people who sort of have this side business or they're pursuing their entrepreneurial <laughs> dream. Because like you said, it is terrifying to go 
all in from day one. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, there right. are certainly people who have done it, but mentally, you know, we've, we've been raised to think a certain way. And the typical traditional model, at least in America, is that you go to college and you get a traditional job and you work there and you collect a paycheck every two weeks. So for a lot of people, it's very hard to make that jump from saying, okay, I have to create my entire paycheck by myself when I've been mm-hmm. used to money kind of showing up in my bank account every two weeks and that's how I budget and that's how I plan. And it's a little right. bit different when you're a business owner, but when you start small and when you scale it up to be a full-time venture, then it's a little bit easier to know what you're working towards. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it is, it's, it's obviously very scary, you know, especially if you are the entire breadwinner or <coughs> the insurance is your name in, in your name, you know, and all those various things. I mean, it was funny. I, I had both, you know, you know I, I worked full time and had my business wise women communications for quite a while. You know, I was kind of like you before I leaped. And it was funny. I met with a business coach who told me that I would never make wise women communications a success until I had to. You know, she she actually told me you're making it a hobby. And that really struck home with me. I mean, I was I was really surprised at that. And but she was true. You know, what she was saying was so correct because, you know, I, I did a little bit here and I did a little bit there and I could say, ooh, I'm an entrepreneur, but then I went to my day job, um, you know, and it really wasn't until I quit and, and quitting my job was one of the hardest things to do. I absolutely loved where I worked. More importantly, I really, really liked the people that I worked with and going in and telling them that I was going to leave was really extremely difficult. I mean, I put it off for months just because I didn't want to do that. So, you know, actually taking that leap of faith and starting, so many people think it's it's easy. It is not. Oh no, it was it was extremely hard and in fact, I mean, it was something that gave me a lot of anxiety because I, I, you know, I sort of broached the conversation with my boss about two or three months before I actually ended up leaving. And because, Mm -hmm. you know, I had kind of heard rumors around the office that, uh, you know, money was tight. The summer was going to be difficult. And I'm like, okay, this is my opening. So I went in and said, you know, Hey, I could go to part-time hours. Like I'm happy to only Mm -hmm. come in during the Mm -hmm. mornings. And they were like, no, we need you here. And so then I told, Oh, mentally, (laughs) mentally, I totally backtracked and was like, Oh, I can't do this to them. You know, they've, they've done such a good thing here. They, they took me in right after I I quit my job in Baltimore and, and gave me this other job. And so that was absolutely the hardest thing. You know, a lot of people think, Oh, it must've been getting clients or, or working all those night and weekend hours, you know? Yeah, of course it had, there were challenges with that, but I love doing it. It was honestly going into a job that, that wasn't terrible. It was an okay job. It wasn't my life's passion, but going into, to good people and right. And realizing that it, that it wasn't for you and, you know, Mm -hmm. and kind of like verbalizing that it was so hard. I mean, my, my boyfriend at the time and my mom were like, they, six months into this, they were like, Laura, come on, quit. Like you're, you're done. You know, you're, why are you Mm -hmm. staying there? Um, and I wish I had done it a little bit sooner, but you know, exactly what you're talking about, that mental perspective of quitting and leaving. Um, it's like the final act of faith of you saying, okay, this business is going to be real. I'm going to go all in and make it happen. Mm -hmm. Well, and of course, you know, then the other, uh, other side of that coin is when somebody has lost their job or, or they just quit. I mean, you know, you, you, and, and you thought, okay, I can be an entrepreneur. I can do this myself. And so many people are doing that because they're leaving corporate America. You know, they're, they're tired of the restrictions, the nine to five, you know, all of those things. And then they find out, you know, whether they, they, you know, 
were kind of forced into this or they did it really, you know, by choice and by fate. Then they find out, oh, good heavens, this is a heck of a lot harder than I ever thought it would be. And that's really where you come in because so many business owners, you know, we, A, we're usually short on money. You know, if we're, if we're doing this from, you know, our, our basement, our second bedroom, all of those various things. So we think that they, that we have to do it all ourselves. And I've talked with other people on my program about the fact that, you know what, bite the bullet and pay people when you need to pay them. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that you really talk to people about and, and work with them on is hiring what's known as a virtual assistant. So what is a virtual assistant? And then how does somebody go about finding one and working with one? A virtual assistant is a person who um, can play multiple different roles in your business. Anywhere from um, like a high-end virtual assistant would be called an online business manager. They're basically your right hand, your second in command. Okay. But a virtual assistant can even be working for you just a couple of hours a week, handling tasks that you really shouldn't be doing. And this is so right. important. I mean, I was talking to another entrepreneur last night and she said, you know, oh, for, I said, you know, what tasks are, are sort of on your list that are a constant problem? And she said, you know, social media, I, I'm not good at it and I really hate doing it. And I was like, well, there you go. That's absolutely the first right. thing you need to ask. Why don't you outsource <laughs> that? Yeah, because mm -hmm. I mean, there are certain things you do that are revenue generating that keep you in your zone of genius. You know, for me, that's writing or working with my clients. That's it. Mm -hmm. Everything else is an administrative task or something that should be given to another person. And a lot of entrepreneurs have trouble coming to terms with these concepts. Concepts, but um, it helps you make more money, right? I mean, imagine if you're charging $100 an hour or $1,000 an hour for your consulting services. If you're spending your time doing $20 an hour tasks, you are limiting how many you know, revenue generating hours you can have making a thousand dollars with your clients because you're stuck doing, you know, tasks. Time is, time is the one thing that, you know, we all have the same amount of it. So for you to be spending it doing things that are not making money for your business or are even worse are frustrating you because you're not good at them or you don't like them, that that's not a positive use of your time and that's not a good way to scale your business. You know, every entrepreneur will hit a point where they literally cannot do any more in a given day. And some of those things need to be removed from the business owner's plate so that they can be the big picture thinker. Right. You know, I, I kind of have the 15 minute rule. If it's going to take me more than 15 minutes to do it, then I need to seriously consider outsourcing it. You know, and, and there's a variety of things. I mean, there's there's certainly virtual assistants, which I want to talk more about that. But uh, things like Fiverr. I love Fiverr. Oh, my heavens. You know, now it, clearly you're getting what you pay for. So, you know, it's not something that, that's a major project and, you know, and, and uh, some things like that. But you know, there, there are certainly lots of places to go to. You know, I love tinkering on my website. I, to me, that's just, that's a fun thing to do. I can, I can get lost in that for hours. The point is I can get lost in that for hours. It's not a good use of my time. You know, and, and so I outsource it. I've got some great friends. You know, if you're really just starting out in business, you can barter. You can do all sorts of things. But, you know, it's, it's exactly like you were saying you need to be focusing on what your business is and making money at that. Yeah, and, and it's one of the ways that I recommend people get started is by doing this for one day or for one week, writing down every single thing you do in your business. And then you go back uh -huh. and you ask yourself, for each of those tasks, do I really need to do this? Would a CEO do this or delegate right. it? 
And Mm -hmm. a lot of times you're going to realize, you know, this just recently, I was trying to put together all of the sort of back end systems to launch my podcast and book people and make sure I have their bios and pictures. And halfway through it, I realized, wow, I really hate doing this. And why, you know, why am I doing Mm -hmm. this? This is not generating revenue. This is totally Mm -hmm. something my business manager could handle. So when I went on vacation for a week, I said, when I come back, I'd like to see sort of an end to end solution of, you know, from booking to recording, um, making this as easy as possible and having me only do the parts of it that I need to, which is approving the guests and appearing on the show Mm -hmm. itself. And that was such a, like a smart decision to make. I wish I'd, you know, made it sooner before I had started trying to do all that work because we Mm -hmm. often find ourselves in these traps because as entrepreneurs, we started as solopreneurs. We did everything ourselves. Our business is our brand and it's our name and it's our baby and giving up control is not easy. But at the same time, your business cannot grow unless you have other people helping you do that. Right. And, you know, for people who are still hesitant, you know, think of it this way. We go to other experts for other things. You know, you're sick. You go to a doctor. Your car breaks down. You go to a mechanic. You know, all of these things. And you go to them. I mean, maybe you can research on the Internet and discover what your symptoms are and what you should be doing. Or you can watch YouTube videos and fix your car. But is that the best thing to do? Because you might not do it right. And, and that's kind of my point is hiring an outside expert to help you in so many ways saves time. Um, you know, think about people who try to do their own taxes, especially as a business owner, and mess up and ooh, it really ends up costing them money. You know, so, so really think about, you know, as, as you mentioned, Laura, you know, I love you know, having somebody write it down because then you can look at it and go, okay, if this was done incorrectly by me, what could the results be? You know, even if it's just that it takes longer, um, you know, and because then there is your time. You know, if you are a person who bills, you know, you mentioned $100 an hour and it takes you three hours to fix your own mistakes. Well, there went $300. I mean, you know, and, and so I love that you have people kind of walk through that process to really think about what the heck is it that you're doing? Yeah, you have to know what you're spending your time on because often we get tunnel vision about why something isn't working. So, you know, Mm -hmm. a life coach might say, well, I'm only able to have three clients at a time because my schedule is so busy. Well, why is your schedule so busy? Because you're spending 10 hours a week doing things that you don't need to be doing. And Mm -hmm. those, you know, getting those 10 hours back by giving them to someone else allows you to fold in more clients, make more money, do more of what you like and less of what you don't. I mean, that's a no brainer, right? Right. Well, and you're all about kind of creating that virtual team, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and we, you know, we have people who have mastermind groups and all of those things, but, but again, let's go back to the virtual assistant. Mm-hmm. How, you know, okay, me, I'll, we'll just use me as an example. How would I go about finding a virtual assistant and, you know, what qualifications am I looking for? All of those various things. The best way to find a virtual assistant if you have access to this is to get a referral from somebody else. So somebody else, you know, who is using VAs because that is always going to be more valuable than what a VA tells you about themselves. So for me, Mm -hmm. um, when another entrepreneur tells me, Hey, 
Mary Smith saved me 20 hours and I was able to scale my business um, and double revenue this year as a result. That's a meaningful result of working with somebody or just when somebody tells me they've had a good experience with another person. I know that person communicates professionally, sticks to deadlines, um, Mm -hmm. understands the role they're going to play in my business. So that's number one. But it's not always possible because maybe you don't know um, anybody or people aren't aren't saying how much of their business is managed by virtual assistants. Um, if Mm -hmm. If you're seeing a pretty successful company, there is a good chance that there is more than one person behind the curtain but right you know we they, but business owners sometimes have that ego they oh, don't yeah. want to admit that they can't do it all yeah yeah, yeah. if somebody's got a podcast and they're publishing multiple <clears throat> blog posts a week and they're writing books and they're going on speaking tours um you know that's and especially if they have a family too, that's right. way too much to handle all on your own. So somebody is, you know, moving things, um, kind of behind the scenes, even if you don't know about it, but a, a referral is always best, but there are other places you can go to. There are freelance job board sites. I recommend, um, Upwork. I've actually gotten several of my VAs from Upwork. There's also Facebook groups for entrepreneurs. They're free Facebook groups to join, but, um, they're often great places to find people who are building and growing their businesses. And a lot of people go, well, do you know, do I really want to work with somebody who's just getting started or maybe has only been in business three to six months? Yes. Because what happens with really good VAs is that they get booked up very quickly. And, um, so you, you know, it's a good idea to sort of lock someone in when they're not, you know, entirely new, they've got a little bit of experience, but they're, they're not closed off to booking new clients completely because you want somebody who's going to give you the right amount of attention to working with somebody who's overbooked is always a bad experience. Right. You know, and, and it's just like, you know, you mentioned you work 18 hours a day. Well, you know, if you're, if your VA is working too many hours, something isn't going to get done. Yeah. And that's something to be mindful of. Anytime that you add someone to your digital team, ask them their current working schedule, who else they're working for right now. Um, and also their ideal Um, sort of preference for their business. So for example, there are VAs out there who don't mind having 20 clients because they're only working maybe two hours a week for each client and that's fine for them. However, my online business manager is is very clear in saying, I only work with three clients at a time. I really prefer to be sort of more deeply involved in a few people's businesses. Um, So you want to know what your preference is too. You know, if you have a limited budget or if you really Mm -hmm. don't have that many tasks for someone to do, it's kind of unreasonable for you to ask that they just work for you and handful of other people. But if you do need someone who, um, you need to be, have them be a little bit more accessible, then you want to kind of look for that person who wants to build just a couple of key long-term relationships. Right. You know, and it is about finding someone too, who is taking this seriously. Um, you know, I've, I, when I was still in Colorado, I worked with a couple of VAs who, you know, it was back to, you know, my comment about my business. It was a hobby for them. You know, they, they were doing it and the problem was, and I shouldn't say it was a hobby for them. They were doing it, you know, trying to fit stuff in. They had full-time jobs also. And so they were trying to accomplish the tasks that I gave them on their breaks, evenings and weekends. And, you know, and they were my friends. That was the problem. Um, you know, and, and it was funny because the, the one person that I hired absolutely loved him. He was fantastic but not a good fit for me because things that I needed done couldn't be done between noon and one or, you know, on Saturday evening or something like that. And, and so that's where it helps to really be interviewing the person you're going to work with to find out not how seriously they take it, but you know, is it, you know, what is their schedule like? 
Yeah. And you also want to think about the kind of tasks that you need to have completed and whether they can be flexible or whether you need someone right. available immediately. So invoicing, sure. That can be done 10 o'clock on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the approach that I take with my team. So because my business manager publishes all of our newsletters, my blog posts and all of that stuff to the website, she knows what days of, you know, I'm going to get the newsletter to her by Tuesday. And so like, I need her to be available on Tuesday to edit it and send me the tests and all of that. But my, the person who makes my graphics for social media, she just knows that once a month she needs to deliver me zip files. So I don't, I don't mind that she has a full-time job and that this is a hobby she has on the side. So that's Mm -hmm. something to think about. Um, as you go about hiring someone else, because there are situations where you can be flexible. And, but you know, if you're hiring a customer service agent to answer emails from your clients, you want somebody who's going to be at the computer during specific times, who's going to adhere to 24 hour turnarounds and things like that. Very important to ask during the interview process. Right. So now we found the right person, you know, is it, uh, you know, and, and obviously things vary. So I want to talk about this. It, do you hire them hourly? Are there retainers? I'm one of these people, and you know this is because I've unfortunately been burned. I want a contract, a written contract, and I don't care if they're my friend, they're my best buddy. I've never met them before. I want a written contract, but you know, is that typical? So how you know you you found the right person? Now what? I think a contract is becoming more you know, normal and it actually protects both parties. So sometimes Mm -hmm. the virtual assistant might think, you know, Hey, this is just to protect the client and I'm not really getting anything out of this, but that's not true because one of the worst things to deal with as a virtual assistant is, um, not being paid. So the contract gives you some, you know, sense of what, what your next steps are. Can you add late fees? Does this, you know, contract terminate when the client hasn't paid for a certain period of time, et cetera. But you know, just as important as it is to hire the right person, you need to set the tone for that relationship and have a really good, positive working relationship. So you will Mm -hmm. find every kind of payment arrangement out there. Some VAs, it makes more sense for them to work hourly because they're, um, you know, so, you know, sometimes they're only going to work 10 hours a week. The next week you may be preparing for a launch and they do 30. So it's okay for that to fluctuate. But a lot of VAs tend to go towards packages and retainers. So for example, okay. a, a social media VA might charge you a flat rate package. And that includes posting to all your social media platforms once or twice a day for a 30 day period. Whereas, mm-hmm. um, like another package might be, Hey, um, you know, one of my web guys gives me a web package or a package for his virtual assistant work on my website. And, you know, the more hours that I pay for at a time, the more of a discount I get. So his hourly, his hourly rate within the package goes down if I use him, um, more, but then I'm only paying for what work is actually being done. So hourly Mm -hmm. there's, there's one major downside to hourly. Now I think when you first get started working with someone, it's a good idea to give them a small test project of maybe one to three hours. Because first of all, you want to see how they follow instructions. You want to see how long it takes them to get it done. And you want to just get a sense of how well you work together because there's nothing beneficial about signing a contract for a $1,000 a month worth of VA services. And then you realize a weekend that it's not really going to work or, um, Mm -hmm. that the person just doesn't have the time or the bandwidth for you. The the major downside of hourly packages, if you are not crystal clear with your instructions, I I mean, so many entrepreneurs, I know this has happened to them. They say, okay, go do, go find me a good webinar software. That's the task, right? right? That's their only instruction. That can take 15 minutes. That can take 
Four hours. And then they get an invoice back for 10 hours and they're going, whoa, I didn't want you to spend 10 hours doing this. I mean, this would have taken me an hour tops. So if you do hire someone hourly, and even if you have them on a, you know, a package, I like to set expectations. So I'll tell my team, um, hey, can you go find out some new webinar software options? Here's what I do and don't like about what I have. I expect this to take no more than two hours. Let me know if that's unreasonable. So then that puts the responsibility on the VA to come back to me and say, your expectations are unrealistic. And that way I'm also not getting an invoice for somebody who just took way too long. You know, I'm not paying people to be slow. I want to be fair, but just because you said, um, you know, go, go do this research for me. Doesn't mean the VA is understanding it the way you intended. So put some parameters on it. I'd like to see this within a week. I expect it to take no more than two hours. Um, please exclude X software. I've already tried it and didn't like it. The better your instructions are, the easier it is for the VA to do their job. Right. And then both sides are happy. I mean, you know, the, the worst thing for the VA is to have spent a lot of, of their time, spinning their wheels, you know, or, or giving results that, that weren't good. You know, that's, that's frustrating too, you know, to, to go back and say, well, but you told me X and you really wanted Y, you know, the, then they don't want to do it either. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's so many of the communication breakdowns between VAs and their clients are due to poor instructions or are due to misconstrued expectations. So that's why when you interview someone, you know, get them on the phone or on a Skype call. So you have a sense of whether or not the two of you gel. And then when mm -hmm. you do give instructions or share out projects, first of all, make sure they're interested in it and capable of doing it and right. make sure that they're very clear on what it is that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we, we've been talking about setting up your own business one of the cool things that you do, and this, this dovetails in here very nicely, is you help people become virtual assistants. So talk, us, talk to us about that. Absolutely. So part of my start in freelancing was doing virtual assistant work for other people. And then I was tapped by a recruiter pretty early on to start being a project manager and leading teams of other freelancers, including virtual assistants. So I've done that a number of times and managed dozens of people in this role. So I've kind of seen from both perspectives of being the virtual assistant and also being the person hiring a virtual assistant for either me or for other people, kind of what works and what doesn't. So I try to help people who are looking to get a start as a virtual assistant, but they really don't know where to begin. You know, there's a lot of material out there that would convince people that they need a $5,000 website to get started. You know, no, that's mm -hmm. not true. Most of what you need to become a VA, you probably already have. So right. I try to give people the fast track, you know, learn from my mistakes. I learned very much trial by fire when I started my business and I made some mm -hmm. pretty big mistakes early on. And, you know, one of them was not getting a contract and, and saying yes to every single client and those types of things that I teach people how to avoid those mistakes so that they can grow their business effectively without as many headaches. So where would somebody find this information um, that, that you can provide? So all of my details about how to become a virtual assistant is um, housed on a website called yourway2va.com, and it's just all spelled out. And I've got some free tools on there as well as um, a free course that you can get, um, sort of like why being a VA is such a great opportunity now. You know, they're really in high demand. And then some, some sort of tips and tricks for working with clients when you're first getting started. Cool. You know, and, and I love the fact that it really doesn't have to be full time, you know, so maybe you're a mom whose kids are finally in school, you know, so you've got that 
six hour block of time, um, you know, or you're, you're, uh, you know, you, uh, maybe have evenings that you can, can do this, all these various things. And, and so it's a great way. Now we're not just saying it's a great way to make extra money because it might truly evolve into something that you are doing full time. But, you know, we were saying that at the very start of the program, it's something, you know, when a lot of times when you start out as a solopreneur and entrepreneur, you are doing it part time and it, it can eventually evolve into full time. That's one of the greatest things about freelancing is it works for you as much as you want it to. So while you right. can certainly schedule it into a full-time venture, you also don't have to. And for people who are just getting started, you know, you're going to spend so much of your time marketing. You're not going to be doing as much working for clients because you don't have any clients yet. So if you have 10 hours a week to give, you might spend eight hours of those marketing and two hours working with the clients that you've already booked. And then that will gradually shift over time. But mm -hmm. you're absolutely correct. You know, use the free time that you have um, to build your business slowly. And you'll also learn what you do and don't like doing as you go through that process. So maybe you start off being a social media manager as a virtual assistant and then realize that's not really your calling and what you really like is building landing pages. So you can mm -hmm. change that when you're only doing it a couple of hours a week. You can adjust your business a little bit more easily. Right. You know, you, you mentioned freelancing. You also work with people who want to become freelance writers. So talk more about that. Yeah, freelance writing has been a huge um, portion of my income and the time that I spend working on my business since 2012. That's that's how I got started. Um, it grew into a six-figure business relatively quickly. And one of the reasons that I put together a course and started giving people information about how to do it is because people in my own personal world kept coming to me and saying, Hey, how do I do what you do? You know, you've, you left your corporate job. Now you're working for yourself completely from home. You're making more money doing it. And so I put together tools to help people learn how to become freelance writers. Um, why now is such a great time, how to find clients, how to set rates, all of that good information to really help you launch your business successfully. Mm -hmm. Well, and of course the cool thing about freelance writing is it really can be evenings, weekends, you know, all those various things. Obviously, it depends on what you're writing and you probably still have deadlines and, and things like that. But but it is something that you can do while you still have that corporate job. Exactly, because the client doesn't really care when you do the work so long as it is done by a certain time. So mm -hmm. as long as you've looked at your schedule and said, okay, you know, I've got something due tomorrow. That means I need to work on it tonight, get it completely done and send it off before I go to work tomorrow at my regular job. That's something that you can absolutely do. And most freelance writers who are successful started off doing that. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with starting small and building it up. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and again, maybe it does turn into something full time. And, you know, the, the cool thing, and of course, this is one of the reasons why people want to go out on their own is they think, wow, you know, I, I can set my own schedule. And, you know, it, that has its benefits because, yes, you know, if I want to go shopping in the middle of the day, I can. I don't have to tell a boss, hey, I need to go do that or go to a doctor's appointment or drop kids off at school or all of those things. But, you know, you still have to make sure you're taking it seriously. So, you know, I, one of the tips that somebody told me and, and, you know, I, I admit I don't adhere to this very much is to still dress like you're going to an office, you know, even if you're just going to your spare bedroom, um, you know, one of the things I do is, as I keep what I call fairly regular office hours. Yes. Do I check emails at 10 o'clock at night or on weekends? All those things I do, but 
I also, you know, may not respond until eight o'clock the next morning. You know, I, it depends on what it is and who the client is, but I'm not usually available 24 seven. So, you know, what are some other tips that you have for people who might be just starting out in their business? Well, setting some type of regular office hours is definitely one of them. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. It's like, I like to have that flexibility. So I'm not going to tell my clients, oh, you'll find me in my office every single day between nine and five, because that's not true. But Mm -hmm. setting, you know, some time period when you intend to be working, even if that's two or three hours in the morning, um, helps you mentally check into that place. I also do recommend having a physical space in your house where you go to do your work. Um, that can even Mm -hmm. be a closet that you've repurposed a corner Mm -hmm. of a room. Um, but have that be your desk, um, and set it up so that, um, your brain, switches over to work mode when you go in there. So for example, my office is, um, cold so that I don't get too comfortable working there. It's in a separate Ah. area of the house. I have a very comfortable chair with great lumbar support because I'm going to be sitting there for long periods of time. Um, all of those little things sort of, you know, when I go into my office, you know, I have a certain type of music that I play to help me keep focused while I'm working. And that sort of cues my brain every time I go in there. It's sort of a message. Oh, hey, we're in this room again. We're sitting in this chair. We're listening to this music. That must mean it's time to work. So right. let's forget about all the other distractions and and get busy. And I think that helps a lot. And honestly, one of the hardest things um, is not training yourself. It's training your friends and your family. Training members. everybody else, right? I can't be doing laundry now. Yeah, or, I can't. No, I can't I'd like to go to lunch with you. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think w- there's this expectation of, oh, you're working from home. I can call you and email you, and you'll respond at all hours of the day because you're at home. And and it's like, no, I'm I'm running a business and I'm on client calls or I'm working on somebody's project. So um, keep that in mind too. Like you can do all of the necessary things for you to be. Focused and recognize that you have an office space and office working hours and that you're actually working, but you're also going to have to have some adjustments for your, um, friends and your family members. You know, if you have a spouse, you've got, you need to have that conversation of, oh yeah, Hey, by the way, on Tuesday nights, that's when I'm going to be doing all my freelance projects. So that's not going to be a good time for date night. I'm not going to do the laundry. Um, if you could help by maybe preparing dinner so that I can have focus for a couple hours, um, that's a great way to sort of get everybody on the same page. Right. You know, and, and it is about setting those those borders and those boundaries. Um, you know, I've had clients who assume that I work 24-7. You know, and, and part of that's been because I've made the mistake of responding to them on evenings and weekends. And, and um, you know, I had one client who really thought that I should be working on a holiday. And it was, you know, a, one of those major family holidays. And it was like, no. Now, clearly sometimes there are emergencies. But, you know, I have also found that if a client contacts me at, say, 4.30 and says, we want this done, you know, right away, you know, you look at it. Okay. Can it wait till tomorrow? Can it not? You know, if it's something that really can wait, typically what I do is I tell them more than happy to do this. But you do understand that my evening rate is double what my daily rate is or holiday, you know, all those various things. Um, And usually... They decide it can wait, um, you know, and, and, and it is, it's about setting those boundaries and, and letting people know that you are as serious about your business as they are about theirs. Yeah. That's another thing that, um, can be difficult is the, the clients that you choose to work with 
Um, they should be like-minded, you know, especially if you're working with somebody who does work in a traditional office setting, they're going to be in front of their computer between nine and five, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so for them, if, if you decide like for me, for example, I have appointments to go see my personal trainer three to four times a week at three o'clock in the afternoon. So for a while it took my clients a while to realize like, Oh, Hey, if it's after two 30, Laura's not in the office. She's not going right. to get back to me until the next morning. And <laughs> how you hire your clients and, and work with them um, is just as important as them hiring you. So you kind of need to be right. mindful of that. And sometimes you do have to sort of put your foot down. And one of the ways that I found works really well is when I'm out of my office, I do put an auto responder on that sort of tells them, Hey, got your message. I'm not available right now. I expect to be able to answer it in blah, blah, blah hours. Um, and right. that sort of can help people realize, Oh, this isn't going to be a situation where I can ping this person 10, mm -hmm. 12 times a day and they're going to respond immediately. Cause that's sort of like, in my opinion, that's the downside of the digital age we live in because we have smartphones and computers that are around us almost all the time. Some people seem to think that, um, that also means that you want to, that to be around you all the time. And no, right. I'm not always answering my cell phone mm -hmm. or my email. So you have to train your clients with that as well. Right. You know, and, and then you have, you know, the, the added problem of time zones, you know, especially depending on what you're doing, you know, maybe you are a virtual assistant, you know, and, and so you're in one time zone and your client is in another one. Again, it comes back to managing those expectations. You know, when I moved, <coughs> excuse me, to Atlanta, I have clients who are in California. That's a three hour time difference. And <coughs> excuse me, they were expecting that I would still be working at 7.30 at night because, of course, that was just 4.30 for them. And so we very quickly came to an understanding that I wouldn't work at 7.30 at night, but I also wouldn't expect them to respond to me at 4.30 in the morning um, because they were so much earlier. And they liked that idea. You know, they you know, it was like, okay, we, we, we can see how this is going to be something we need to work out. And, you know, you, you just have to be better at time management, I think is, is probably what it all comes down to. Yeah, that's a huge part of the battle as an entrepreneur. You just have to have excellent time management and excellent screening procedures to know who is and who isn't the right fit to work with. So whether you're hiring a virtual assistant or you want to want to be a virtual assistant, not everyone is the right fit for you. And mm -hmm. if, you know, if you are on the East Coast and it's a West Coast client who's saying, hey, I need you to be available until you know 6 p.m. Pacific every single day, if you don't want to be accountable until 9 o'clock at night Eastern time, then that's not the right fit for you. That's a job that you would need to pass on. And um, you always have to keep that in the back of your mind. Like It's not just about money or adding new client contracts. It's also about adding contracts and relationships that benefit both of you. Right. You know, because hopefully it's a long-term relationship. You know, obviously it depends on what the project is, but you know, you, you are building a business and building a team and there is nothing that says that you can't continue being a virtual team years into, to, you know, when you've established your business. Yeah, exactly. And finding the right people, um, you know, sometimes you get very lucky and you end up working with someone for a long period of time, but other times, you know, your business will grow and evolve and change and you can still use those as learning opportunities. You know, when, it, when a relationship with a client does end or with a virtual assistant, think about the role that you played in that process and maybe, right. um, you know, how could that be fixed for the future? Would you hire or work with a client or VA like that again? Um, those are all learning opportunities that can help you refine your process. Right. You know, and, and it is something that is just like if, if you had an employee, 
you have reviews, you know, you go through things, you, you do status reports, all of those various things. And I think that's what takes training also, whether it's the, the, the virtual team member or the business owner, you know, again, take it seriously, folks. It is just like they are an employee and, you know, they want to do a good job also. So put them in the, the position to be able to do that. Yes. It's all about building a relationship and treating the other person with respect, whether you're actually the client or you're the freelancer. You know, um, I actually am, I was just thinking like I'm coming up on the three year anniversary of when I started working with one of my clients and I just, I couldn't, wow. yeah. And, and he didn't realize it either. I said, you know, we've been working together for almost three years. And mm -hmm. he said, well, you've just made it so easy for me that, you right. know, my content and all of that, I never even have to think about it. It's just done. And so when you mm -hmm. work on having a really professional relationship where you're solving a critical need for that person, it's so easy to build that powerful relationship that lasts for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, when done right, it really can work, you know, for forever. And just like if it's an employee, if it's not working right, sometimes you can fix it. Sometimes you have to say, hmm, okay, not so much anymore. And, you know, that's, it's funny. It's also, you know, you have to be able to do that with clients also. And one of the, the things that I learned is it is difficult to work with friends, whether they're your clients or whether you have hired them. You know, it, it, the friends and family, of course, they always want the friends and family discount. You know, I always love those. But, you know, it's, it is tricky because you don't want to jeopardize your friendships. So sometimes you let things go that you really shouldn't be letting go. Yeah, I've found that um, just from my own personal experience that it's better to work with a stranger than a family member or a friend because otherwise you know, if the relationship does break down and it could be for honest reasons, like maybe there's just no longer a need for that particular right. service. Um, mm -hmm. your friend or family member is probably going to take that personally anyways. Um, so mm -hmm. there's no real way around that. And for me, it just became, you know, sort of too much of a burden. I mean, I get people asking me all the time, are you hiring anyone on your team? And it's not that I would exclude someone because I already know them, but it's much easier to build a relationship from scratch when um, you're very clear that this is a professional relationship and there's not really that sort of friendship or family member stress on it in addition because that can lead to you, as you said, letting things go. It can also mean that you keep the person on much longer than you should have because you kind of feel a sense of obligation like, right. oh, I can't really fire my friend, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's that's something to be very, very cautious of. It's something that... Um, I don't do anymore. Um, I mean, there are situations where it can work, but for me, I would just rather sort of start from scratch. Well, and to me, that's also why you have written contracts. Um, because then you can say, you know what? I hired you for four hours a week and you're only doing two. Or they can say, you hired me for four hours a week and you're asking me for six. You know, and, and or, you know... Uh, you, you, I hired you to design this website and you went totally off rail or whatever, you know, when you've got that written contract, then it's much easier to say, okay, let's, let's review this because we've got a situation that's going on. Yeah. And that can be so awkward. I mean, whether, mm -hmm. it, whether it is like the person that you hired and you didn't know before, I mean, that's still an awkward conversation to have, right. but it's even worse when it's a friend or a family member. Um, but mm -hmm. it is an important protective 
tool to have for you and the other person signing the contract. You want to be sure that you're on the same page because things can get misconstrued so easily right. and feelings mm-hmm. can get hurt because of that. Right. You know, and, and, you know, I'm, I really am big on have it written down, you know, and, and even if it's just an email, it just clears things up, you know, and, and, and as you mentioned, you know, that way you can say, I want you to do this and you write it down. It's very clear. There's no, you know, they can come back if they've got questions, you know, well, what about what ifs, you know, all those various things. But if it's written down, it just helps whether they're your, your best buddy or somebody you've, you've never met, you know, it just really helps clarify the process. Yes, absolutely. Um, you, you always want to be on the same page. So written instructions are really great for that. And also if you're trying to show someone a process, making a screen capture video of you doing it makes it easier, um, so that they don't feel that pressure Ah. of, of missing it the first time around. And that way, if that person ever leaves your team, you know, you'll still have this digital library of basically training tutorials that you can give to somebody new. So you're not recreating the wheel each time. Cool. I love that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and you can update it, you can do whatever, but that that's a cool idea. Nice. So let's talk more to the, the person who has said, I'm going to, to start my own business. You know, what's your first piece of advice when they've, you know, they've said, okay, I'm going to do this. I mean, what is the very first thing that, or, and maybe it's not the very first thing, but what are some of the first things that people really need to think about when they're, they're starting their own business? Well, you want to be really conscious of the type of business that you're going to want to build. Um, and this is some, this is a decision that I made very early on and I did not realize how important it was going to end up being for me. I mean, I see a lot of people out there and I know a lot of people, my own mentors included, who um, have made this mission to build a million dollar business, which is great. Right. But I knew from day one, I don't want the million dollar business. I sense that there comes with a million, yeah. of, million headaches. <laughs> um, the million dollar oh. problems are held at that level. And, right. and that's exactly what one of my mentors said. He said, you know, yes, my company makes more money, but now the fires that I per- put out are worth $30,000 <laughs> instead of $300. Mm-hmm. So um, be conscious of the type of business you want to build. Is it location independent? Is it, um, you know, something where you rely on a digital team to carry it out? Or is everything sort of on you? You know, if you're a life coach, you're the only person who can do the life coaching. So there's some limitations with that. So, so think about that when you start your business. Um, And also think about what you're good at and what you can stand doing every single day. A lot of the big mistakes I see entrepreneurs make is they repeat what they did at their day job that they hated. So for example, they might put those office hours up. Oh, I'm available nine to five every single day. Well, if you hated that working in an office, why are you going to do that? Don't do that. You know, and the, the one that was for me was like in my office job, the customer was always right. I don't believe that because there are some clients that I will not work with because they're just too difficult. So for me, it was about, you know, knowing that balance, the the things that I could and would not be flexible on. Um, and also just, you know, what do I like doing every day? So I've been writing for several years now. I still like doing it every single day, so long as those other things are taken care of, right? So long as I can go Mm -hmm. on a three-week vacation if I want to, so long as my clients are great and they're not difficult to work with. So be be conscious of that as you build your business. Those early decisions, um, you know, yes, you can build a million-dollar business. Yes, you can um, build a business where you have a lot of influence, but there's also some other costs that might be associated with that as well. Are those more important, is it more important to you to have the, the high revenue generating business, or is it more important to you to have the freedom, you know? So those are really critical things that I don't think enough people consider. 
So what about legal aspects? You know, should you become a legal entity right at the very start? Um, you know, now I'm you know, kind of like how I believe in contracts. My philosophy is yes, but maybe it's not necessary. And, you know, how, when do you take that step to become an LLC or an S corp or all of those things that people think, oh my gosh, what the heck does that mean? Well, I think there's a certain point in your business where, um, your attorney or your accountant might suggest those types of things to you. You know, my accountant has kind of said, Hey, once we reach this particular, um, level, it's going to be beneficial to file as an S corp. So it's going to depend on every individual business. If you are providing a service where the client could allege that you have made a mistake and have harmed them, I strongly recommend forming as an LLC sooner rather than later. But of course, I'm not an attorney. So anyone who might carry errors and omissions insurance, for example, um, should consider um, incorporating or becoming an LLC um, Mm -hmm. because of that. But, you know, I think it's beneficial to have conversations with an attorney early on in the process, even if you're not Mm -hmm. ready to file for that LLC, you want an attorney drafting your contracts. You want an attorney reviewing the contracts that others are sending to you to sign. So having that early conversation allows you to grow with the lawyer so they know your business and then they can kind of suggest, hey, it looks like things have really grown since we last talked. Maybe we need to consider filing an LLC. Uh, maybe we need to, you know, go to your accountant and you need to change the, you know, your business entity, um, things like that. So um, it's, it's good to have those conversations to have somebody that understands your business from the beginning. Right. And of course, there's tax ramifications. Um, I was talking to somebody one time who was doing this, you know, again, I'm going to use the word hobby. They were you know, doing their business as a hobby. And I, I say that simply because they hadn't incorporated. They were, you know, they still had a full time job doing something else and, and all these things. And I happened to mention that on my taxes, I had just gotten back over $3,000 for mileage allowance because I drive a lot for my business. And they looked at me and they said, what on earth do you mean? You know, and, and it had never occurred to them. And, you know, and they hadn't had that discussion with their accountant or, you know, somebody who knew that that was something they should have been, you know, keeping track of. And, and you know, all of those things. I mean, I know people who actually have clients that come to their homes, so they write off a portion of, you know, their their household expenses, <clears throat> excuse me, because they are able to show that they that they home office and that they truly have clients that come there. That's one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of people make. Um, They don't actually realize how much they can be deducting. Um, And a lot of times another big mistake is not setting aside enough for taxes to begin with. So have those conversations um, early and often, as I've recommended, retain an accountant. You know, my first year I, I did my freelance taxes on my own. And uh, as you shared earlier, made plenty of mistakes. So now I work specifically with an accounting firm that does nothing but help at-home business owners. And my my tax bill last year was half of what I was expecting Mm -hmm. because they said, Laura, you are not deducting nearly enough. And I was shocked to hear those words because I thought they were going to tell me I was Mm -hmm. deducting too much. But retaining professionals, um, just like we talked about with hiring the right VAs, Every penny that I paid to my accountant has been beyond worth it because they save me money and they also give me that audit protection if the IRS does want to come and find more information. So there are certain things where it does, you know, you need to pay to play. A a lawyer Mm -hmm. is one of them. An accountant is one of them. A good VA is one of them. Um, So you kind of have to accept those as, you know, expenses that are well worth having. Right. You know, and it comes back to what we were saying at the start. 
you need to focus your time on doing what it is that you have gone into business to do. Um, you know, the, the, it's, it's funny, the guy who comes and does my landscaping still does all of his own invoicing. It's like, really? You know, shouldn't, shouldn't you have somebody else do that? And, you know, at the same point, have somebody, whoever you're hiring, we know we've mentioned this several times, they actually need to be qualified. I hate it when somebody tells me, oh, my nephew is doing this or mm -hmm. my, my wife is doing that. Or, you know, it's like, well, do they have experience in doing that? Well, no, but, oh, they're doing my social media posts because they're 20. Okay, that's not why they should be doing right. your social media posts. <laughs> I always love that. It's like, no, 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 no. Um, so, Laura, we've got just a couple minutes left. What are some more tips that you have for people who, you know, maybe they, they've, you know, taken that leap, but they're floundering, you know, and, and you know, and, and so, in, and they're at the, do I go back into corporate America or do I continue with this stage? Well, first of all, every business goes through um, good and bad seasons. So you're, you're certainly not alone. And I mean, I, everybody knows this is the statistics about the numbers of small businesses um, that fail. Many fail within their first year or even within their first five years. But before mm -hmm. throwing in the towel, kind of look at, you know, why are things going wrong? Is it because your, your marketing efforts have kind of, you, you slacked on those a bit? Is it because the product or service you've been working on is no longer in high demand? I think successful business owners um, know when to adapt um, because right. nothing is going to be the same forever and recognizing that the winds of change are blowing can help you. So those can actually be really good opportunities to do an introspective look into your business and say, okay, where can we revitalize? Where do we need to change track? Where can we put more pressure on things that are working? Um, so that those are a couple of the things that I, I recommend doing. A lot of times when people get stuck, it's because um, it's, it's hard to recognize that, that something they've been doing is no longer going to work. So maybe that Facebook ad strategy you've been trying isn't relevant anymore. It's time to try mm -hmm. something new. Maybe the type of content you've been writing just isn't in high demand. Well, you've still got writing skills. So let's adapt to another industry, another type of project. Right. And sometimes you do have to close the doors. And, and it's very difficult because, you know, if you started this business and you put all your blood, sweat, and it's become your child in a lot of ways. And sometimes it's like, okay, not so much. Yeah, that's a really hard decision um, that you kind of have to make on a personal basis. But one of the things I'd recommend is don't allow that to become a reflection of you being a personal failure. Because right. like I just said, so many businesses <clears throat> fail. Change. Yeah, And it's, mm -hmm. it's not always the fault of the business owner. Um, things just change and adapt. And sometimes some things have a shorter lifespan and others have a longer lifespan. But don't lose sight of the skills and the drive and the motivation that you brought to the table as a business owner, because that will benefit you. Even if you change tracks completely and start a new business or go back into a corporate job or a different situation, you can still leverage all of those talents. Right, right. Well, Laura, you've got several websites and this has been great talking with you. Um, but you, I, I want you to tell people how they can find your various websites and you know, how to, to reach you. Sure. So all of my advice for wannabe writers is at sixfigurewritingsecrets.com, all spelled out. If you're interested in becoming a VA, all of that information is at yourwaytova.com. And then I have another website with advice sort of for entrepreneurs about, you know, growing their business online, managing a digital team, and that is at betterbizacademy.com. Yeah, I'm looking at that site right now. Just your blog posts are fascinating. So, you know, I highly recommend that people go, you know, even if you're just thinking about it, read some of these tips and techniques that, that Laura has because it's great information. 
Well, thank you so much for allowing me to be on your show. It was a lot of fun. It's been a ton of fun, and I've learned. You know, I've been in business now, ooh, thirteen years, and you know, and, and there are some things that that I definitely learned from you. So, you know, this has been great. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much. Perfect. Well, to everyone out there, have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.